Thank you for joining the worship services of Shoto, Brady, and Dutton United Methodist Churches. I'm Pastor Julie King, and I'm so grateful for digital technology that allows you to join us from wherever you are in the world. You can join us every week by clicking the links on our Facebook at facebook.com shotoumc or on our website at umshoto.net. If you like what we are doing and would like to financially support us in ministry, you can find more contact information on our website, and again, that's umshoto.net. We're so grateful that you are joining us. Well, before we jump straight into our scripture reading, we'll go through a refresher course here of our fingers. I'm we are going to be doing three of the commandments in one week today, and we'll do the last two next week to finish it up by the end of the month. But I hope that this time spent on the Ten Commandments has helped all of you to remember them, to learn something new, or think about them in a different way. And so as a refresher to go through all of them, our first commandment, as you remember, is you have one God with our first finger. The second commandment with our second commandment is that you should not bow down or have false idols, so you can remember that by bowing down with your other finger. Our third commandment that we shouldn't use the Lord's name in vain, if we use three fingers, we can cover our mouth and remember that we are not supposed to misuse the Lord's name. The fourth commandment, we use our fingers and our thumb and we go back to our childhood and remember the church and the steeple and opening the doors and seeing all the people as we remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Number five, we'll use our whole hand and we're gonna honor our father and mother. We can salute and remember the honor. For number six, you should not kill. So we'll use two fingers and a thumb on each hand and we can remember our guns here. You should not kill. Number seven, that you should not commit adultery if we use our seven hands. We can fold this one up to make a cake and stick our bride and groom on top to remember that you should not commit adultery. And with number eight, we'll use our four fingers. We'll use this one to make a wallet and then we'll reach in like we're stealing something out of it to remember that you should not steal. So after that refresher, I would invite all of you to join me and we'll read through the scripture here. These are almost some of the shortest scripture in the Bible other than Jesus wept. But these three verse ones, or three word verse here, they are very short. So I would invite you to join me as we read together in unison, Exodus 20, verses 13 through 15. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, amen. Well, as I said, we are looking at three of the Ten Commandments today. I did not group these together because they are less important or there is not as much to be said about them as the other commandments. In fact, this really made it quite a challenge for me that I did not anticipate how much it was going to be a challenge because I could preach on these three for at least an hour. But I think you'll understand the stealing people's time part here in a little bit. And I promise to try to keep it short. <laughs> Going through the words of life that I've been studying by Adam Hamilton, this week was really good for me to really reflect on what these commandments mean. 
And what I particularly took from his work and the way that these commandments spoke to me was not just the commandments that God gave, but especially the way that Jesus talks about these commandments in the gospel. And so I really want to focus on that today and not spend a whole lot of time on the history of each one of the commandments. It is worth noting, though, that for each of these three commandments, do not kill, do not commit adultery, and do not steal, for as long as it can be traced back any written copy of law code, that you should not murder, you should not commit adultery, and you should not steal, are written laws, not just in religious writings, but also in political or societal writings of law codes. For as long as pretty much people have been people, they have been killing each other, they have been stealing from each other, and they have been committing adultery. And for some reason, we just keep doing it over and over and over, no matter how hard we try to end it, no matter what comes up, no matter what ways we try to change it, it is something that still affects us very much today. Something else that I found very interesting is that over the last century, the number of homicides has increased very dramatically compared to what it has been over the last few thousand years. A lot of this causes, especially our political leaders, to jump as soon as there is a big act like a school shooting or any type of attack it causes people to jump on gun violence and to start that whole debate, but that is not what this is about at all. God commands us that we are not to kill one another. Now, I also have to admit that thinking about murder is a trigger point for me. When I was 18 years old, I grew up, as you know, in a very small town, and one of my very good friends, a friend that I had had since I was Kendall's age, one that my parents were friends with his parents. We went off to college, we were at the same college, and he ended up getting murdered in the parking lot of the university apartments. It is something that I have struggled with theologically for a very long time, and I have tried to make sense of over and over and over. There was a point in my life that the way that it worked in my 18, 19-year-old mind was that I thought, well, maybe this is the beginning of the end of the times and God's taking the good ones. There was a lot of people that said things like, well, this is the will of God. But as I read through what Adam Hamilton has to say about this, I found some comfort in his words. Adam shared a very personal story for him in his book. He talked about a man who attended his church one that had been very active in every single leadership capacity that there could be. He was very active in his community. Not only was this man known for being very generous and a volunteer throughout everything that he could, but his wife was, and so were his children. If you are familiar with Adam's church, the Church of the Resurrection, he started that church as a very, very small church. They originally met in a funeral chapel, actually and it is now the largest United Methodist Church in the world. This man, his friend, had been there with him from before the church even formed. So they were very close. Unfortunately, this man's daughter ended up getting murdered. 
And Adam talks in his book about going there the night that this murder had happened and trying to find the words. How do you console your best friend during something like that? How do you make sense of it? And then, of course, there are tons of other people gathered there, and Adam is there as the pastor. And what do you say as a pastor during something like that? Adam talked about how there were several people trying to make sense of it, saying many similar things to what I felt when I was trying to make sense of my own friend's murder. Things like, well, maybe this is just the will of God, or God always takes the good ones, the only the good die young. You know all those phrases. And usually people mean well when they say them, but they don't always do good. They don't always help us through those moments. So the thing that Adam said that really spoke to me, and they're very simple words, but it just clicked and it made so much sense, is that these things are not the will of God. The will of God is that we do not kill. Those three words, that is the will of God, is we do not kill. And when people go something, go through something so tragic and violent like this, God's heart grieves too. We are all made in the image of God, those feelings that we feel, the grief that we feel. I believe that God feels that too, and he grieves with us. But we also have the promise that he will get us through that. So, what does Jesus say about this? As I said, in the Old Testament where it's told, do not kill, that's pretty straightforward. But what does Jesus have to say about this? In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, don't commit murder. All who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say, you fool, they will be in danger of a fiery hell. In this teaching, Jesus reminds us that it is anger and it is rage that fuels our sin. It is anger and rage that causes somebody to fire up so much that they end up doing something like killing another person. But this anger and rage that Jesus is warning us about is something that he tells us you should not do at all. You are called to be good to one another. And as a person, as a human being, it seems like we are naturally wired to just want vengeance on somebody. When they do something evil to us, we want vengeance, but that is not what we are called to do. We are called to love even our enemies, and we are called to forgive. One of the greatest examples of being able to forgive somebody in a situation like this I believe is truly Jesus on the cross. Do you remember some of those very last words that Jesus spoke as he hung there right before his death? Jesus cried out and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The people who were killing him, he asked God to forgive. Taking it deeper than that, Jesus calls us not only to forgive, but I remind you again that he calls us that we are to do no harm to others, that we are not supposed to return insult for insult. 
We are to forgive and to love our enemies. All of those, I want to go ahead and take those ideas of forgiveness and loving our enemies and move into the next commandment, the seventh commandment, this one about not committing adultery. Now again, committing adultery is something that has been forbidden from the beginning of time, from as far back as it can be dated on any written law code. People were not supposed to do this. In the Old Testament, it is a little bit different. And during that time and that culture, women were viewed as property. And so as you read through some of the scripture, especially in Deuteronomy, it will talk about how a married man is actually able to have adultery relationships with another woman. But if a woman or another man commits adultery, then both of them are punished by death. That's how serious it was. Of course, as times change, we learn about King David and Bathsheba. There's a lot of examples of adultery in the Old Testament, but by the time it gets to Jesus, we have a very new understanding. And this is what Jesus says to his followers at that time. He says, you have heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you that every man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Jesus is pointing out here that adultery is so much more than just that physical act. It is the lustful part of it. And when you do that, you are committing adultery in your mind, in your heart, in your emotions, in every part of who you are as a human being that is still committing adultery. Jesus takes this a lot farther in just the next two verses after that. And he says, this is serious. This is how serious it is. If your right eye causes you to fall to sin, you should tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into a fiery hell. And if your right hand causes you to fall into sin, chop it off and throw it away. Because it's better for you to lose part of your body than your whole body go into hell. Important side note, I do not think that Jesus is commanding us here that we should actually physically amputate any part of our body. But he is saying that you guys aren't understanding how important this is. So let me give you very, very graphic imagery to open your eyes and make you realize that this is a big deal. You don't commit adultery just in the ways that you know it of this physical act. You don't commit adultery in these ways that I'm speaking about. Jesus wrote, or he didn't write this, he spoke these words 2,000 plus years ago. And they are still so true today. Something that is heartbreaking, though, about today is that I think the lustful part of it is even more serious than it has ever been in the course of all history. Because today we have technology. And technology has made this a terrible, terrible just temptation that is always there at our fingertips. As I said, I don't want to go into a whole lot of history or statistics, but this one is important and worth noting. The number one pornography site for the world in 2019 noted that it had 42 billion 
visits in just that one year. 42 billion. <clears throat> There's only just over 7 billion people in this world, if that helps to put it into perspective. This is a very real thing. This is a very real temptation that a lot of people break all the time. And it is not something that we talk about, especially in church. It's something that we try to separate from the church, and it's a thing that most people think, I'm doing this in my own private time. I'm not going to get caught. It's just happening in my head. It's not a big deal. But as we read and as we hear the words that Jesus spoke, it is a big deal, and it is very serious. And this commandment to not commit adultery, even lustfully, is one that we should all be very aware of. And it's one that touches so many relationships in today's world. Before I go too deep into that commandment, I do want to mention that there is so, so, so much more that we could say about that. But I don't think standing up here on Sunday morning, and again, I promised I won't do it for an hour, it's not the time to do it. And so I do want to throw out there that if there are anyone who are interested or would like to form a small group to have discussions, not just about this topic, but about those hard topics, things that allow us to have relational growth, not just with our spouse, but with each other, with other people in the world, or whether it's personal growth, I would love to start some of those small groups. So if you are interested in that speaking to you, like, yes, I need that in my life, please let me know and let's get that in our life, because I would love to be a part of that as well. Moving on, though, to the Eighth Commandment, that we should not steal. This one really seems pretty straightforward. Probably the most, well, all of these today seem straightforward, but this one really is straightforward. Just don't take something that's not yours, right? That is right, but Adam Hamilton points out in the Words of Life book, and it kind of opened my eyes and made me think about this differently, that probably every one of us are guilty of stealing. Maybe not in the big sense, maybe not in the type that we take something of huge value or a huge item or something that's going to land us in prison. But all of us can probably recall a time in our life that we have stolen something, if we really think about it. This may have been something simple as far as you're at the bank and the cashier hands you an extra 20 and you don't realize it till you get home and you think, oh, it's my lucky day. Or maybe the cashier at the grocery store hands you back an extra five because they're stuck together. You think, hmm, cool, again, lucky day. Maybe you're a little kid and you walk into the grocery store and you see that box with those pink bubble yum bubble gums and they're only five cents and not a big deal, we'll just unwrap it, it's just bubble gum. That of course is still stealing. What about when you find some money on the ground and you walk by and you think, oh, finders keepers. You all know that, finders keepers, losers weepers. I remember saying that to my brother a lot as a child. It's not finders keepers though. That is still someone else's money. And while it might be a huge blessing, a wonderful thing to you, the right thing to do is not to steal it and keep it for yourself. The Old Testament even talks about this with oxen. It talks about how if you find someone else's oxen out on the road, you don't just take that one home and go stick it in your pasture. 
you try to find its owner. And I think most of us as farmers or ranchers today, if we're driving along and we see someone's cattle out along the road, we're not going to say, hey, honey, bring me the stock trailer real quick. Let's load up these cattle and go stick them in our pasture. You're going to try to find out who they are. We don't take what is ours. It's not finders keepers. The number one rule that Jesus talks about that really applies not just to this commandment but to all of them is of course the golden rule that you should do to others as you want them to do to you and then Jesus of course takes it a little bit farther and he says that we are supposed to love our enemies even if it's someone we dislike we still should not steal from them I mentioned earlier that Adam Hamilton also points out that we can steal time from people. I know that this is probably something that all of us are guilty of at one time or another, but sometimes time is very, very precious. Time is not something that we can get back. For some people, time is so extremely valuable and it's so extremely limited. And when we misuse someone's time, that can be taking advantage of them just as much. Just something to think about. I don't think that God necessarily was speaking about stealing time when he spoke the Ten Commandments, but I do think that today as we move on with our life, that it is something for us to think about as we think about doing good to others. The rule here, the general rule, is that if you find yourself being tempted by something, especially on this stealing commandment, give it the golden rule test. If you're wondering if it's okay or if it's unethical to do what you're about to do, ask yourself, would I want somebody to do this to me? To take it a step farther, we can also remember that Jesus told us that it, we are more blessed. He says, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So not only should we think about, is this something that I want people, is this how I want to be treated? Is this how I would want people to treat me? But rather than stealing or thinking about taking someone's time or taking things that aren't ours, we can take it a step farther and think, how are we able to give to others? That's just a little side note to think about as we're moving forward in our life. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time going really deep on these because we all would not be here if we had committed one of these very serious commandments. We would be in prison if we had murdered somebody. You probably won't go to prison for committing adultery, but for those that have gone through it, they don't typically find themselves sitting in a church pew every Sunday morning. And if you have stolen something of significance, you're also probably going to be in prison. But what I do want to think about and what I want us to take away from this is that we are not just commanded to not do these things, to kill, steal, or commit adultery. But we are commanded to take it that step farther, to remind ourselves that we are not supposed to be fueled by anger, that we are not supposed to want to seek vengeance on somebody, to do harm to them. We are not supposed to look at somebody else lustfully or think about them lustfully or do things that are lustful or would hurt our spouse or our significant other. If it's not how we would want them to treat us, we should not be doing it. And we should be considerate of other people in all ways. 
not have the finder's keeper's mindset or it's my lucky day, but to honor other people in every way. If something that you have gone through, if one of these temptations is something that you struggle with, know that it is very normal. Every single one of us are human. Every single one of us are going to sin. We are going to do it over and over and over again. And on some of these big ones like this, it is something that we typically think we can keep to ourselves and that no one is going to find out about it. And we can just keep asking God to forgive us over and over. And if we don't talk about it in church, maybe God won't know. But there are some pointers here to resisting temptation that I would like to share with you. And I think that these apply to not just these three commandments, but to any type of temptation that we face. They're typically known as the three, or sorry, the five, not three, five R's. <laughs> and they are this. The first one is remember who you are. Who are you? What roles do you hope define you? So who are you as a person? Is this action or this temptation consistent with the roles and characteristics that you hope define yourself? The second of the R's is to recognize. Recognize the consequences of the action. Think through what are the absolute worst possible consequences of saying yes to the temptation. And after you cave and give in to the temptation, how are you going to feel? Are you going to be proud of yourself or are you going to be ashamed? And think about who you would hurt if your actions were discovered. How would it impact them? The third one is to rededicate yourself to God. So in the midst of your temptation, try to find the strength to pause and to pray to just think about God for a second, pause and pray and rededicate yourself to God. And when you do this in the midst of temptation, it's like taking a cold shower in the moment of maybe. The fourth one is to reveal. Reveal your struggle to a trusted friend. You see, when we are facing temptations and we are going through something that we keep in secret, as long as it is kept a secret, it has power over us. But when we share our secret temptation with someone else, that desire often begins to dissipate. So choose somebody that you trust a whole lot. Be open with them. Reveal your struggles with them. And trust them to help keep you accountable. The fifth one is to remove yourself from the temptating situation. Now, this can vary a lot depending on what your temptation is, and this is a very personal thing. But you know what it is that triggers you. You know the situations that you get into, that you find yourself wanting whatever that temptation is, that you find yourself in that cycle again. Remove yourself from it. Sometimes these can be very little things. Sometimes they can be big things. Sometimes there are people that have talked about, especially the situation with adultery, of having to literally quit their job to remove themselves from the temptation. Whatever it is you have to do, though, repent, remember who you are, reveal your secret to others, rededicate yourself, recognize the consequences of it, and remove yourself from the situation. 
Now, as you know, every week I've kind of closed out with thinking about what would Jesus say to us if he was standing up here today? And because I use three different chapters, I'm not going to go through a huge thing of what Adam Hamilton thinks that Jesus might say. But these are kind of my own thoughts on what I think Jesus might say to us today. I think that Jesus might remind us that it's normal for you to struggle with anger. It is normal for you to struggle with lustful adultery. It is normal for you to think about that finder's keeper's motive or that it is your lucky day. You are not alone in those struggles. You are also not alone in being a child of God. And no matter what it is that you are going through in your life, no matter what temptations you face, you are still a child of God. No matter how many times you have messed up, no matter how many times you have fallen into this temptation, the Lord will forgive you. But you have to give yourself to the Lord, all of yourself. And you have to keep trying over and over and over. And remember too that the Lord doesn't just see the number of times that you mess up. The Lord also sees the number of times that you didn't fall to that temptation. And that's a good thing. You are human, but you are a child of God. Find forgiveness in God. Find strength in the Spirit. Do good. Do no harm. And live fully into that life that God has called you to live. If you do these things, you will find the greatest blessings that there are in this life. Amen. Our
Thank you. 